Welcome to the Drive Deeper Podcast, where we gather together on your morning commute to dive deeper into the scripture and give you a word to meditate on the rest of the day so that you can walk closely with the Lord during your busy week. Today we're diving into Mark chapter 3. There's some really interesting things that I notice while reading through this chapter today. So, I don't know if you're like me, but often discerning the will of God in your life can be a challenging thing. Am I right? You know, I praise the Lord for verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.18, where Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, it is clear as day. There's no arguing it. God desires that moment by moment, no matter what is going on in our lives, that we would be thankful in Christ. But often when it comes to more of the subjective parts of our life that are not one-to-one conversions from a verse from the scripture where we need to pray and use spiritual discernment and seek out counsel, sometimes God's will for our life can be challenging to discern. And how much more so is it challenging to discern what God's will is for other people's lives? This concept is seen very clearly with how other people misunderstand Jesus and his following perfectly the will of the Father. We know that throughout all of eternity and up until this very moment, Jesus always does what is pleasing to the Father. In his earthly ministry, he makes this clear as well that in John 5.30, he does not seek his own will, but the will of him who sent him. In John 8.29, he says he always does what is pleasing to the Father. And so Jesus walked moment by moment in step with the will of God for his life, never getting off track at any moment. Each word he said according to God's will, each deed he did in accordance with God's will, each thought he had in accordance with God's will, each emotional reaction that came from him and facial expression in accordance with God's will. So you would think that as an external observer, this would be blatantly obvious that this man who is perfect and always doing what is pleasing to God, that we would be able to see that he is doing just that. And yet, this is not the case. And this is true not only of his opponents, of the Pharisees and the scribes, but of his own family. So I think there's something to learn from this and apply to our own lives. So with that in mind, why don't we dive into the passage today? At the end of chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples are plucking the heads of grain and eating them, and the Pharisees freak out because according to their tradition, their interpretation, faulty interpretation of the law, his disciples are breaking Sabbath rules. Well, they're not, but Jesus gives an example from the scripture that basically demolishes their argument, even if they were. 
going into this from this very instance, Mark's narrative closely associates this account with the account of what happens in the synagogue in the beginning of chapter three. So at the beginning of the chapter, we read this again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they, the Pharisees from the previous passage, do you see how he's connecting it? He's not even, he's not even saying the scribes, the Pharisees, he's saying they from the last account that he was just giving. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So let's just get this straight. The perfect son of God walks into the synagogue and is going to heal this man. And rather than saying, huh, I guess maybe we've got this wrong. If the Son of God, if the Messiah says he is able to heal on the Sabbath, maybe we're wrong and he's actually doing the will of God. But instead, they're watching what he's doing in order to find a fault in him so that they can accuse him. And what ends up happening? Jesus asks them some piercing questions. Verse 3 He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. So Jesus does what is right. He does what God willed for him to do in that very moment. And it not only angers him, but it grieves him to see the response of the Pharisees to this. Because their hearts are hardened. They're so callous to God's will that they cannot see it being done right in front of their face. And so... What happens in response to the healing? Well, we read in verse 6, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So they're so convinced that what they're doing is correct, that when they see a man do the will of God, their hearts are so hardened that they decide we have to destroy him. There's no other option. This guy is so wrong, there is nothing else that we can do except destroy him. How might this apply to our own lives? Maybe you've been seeking the Lord's guidance in a particular area in your life for some time, and he makes it clear to you how he would have you obey him. Maybe it's a certain job. Um, maybe it's a relationship. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it's something more particular than that, but God makes it clear to you. This is how I desire for you to walk with me. This is my will walk in it and you do this and it doesn't make sense to everybody else. Matter of fact, people are convinced that you are disobeying the Lord by doing what you are. And yet he's made it entirely clear to you, this is his plan for your life. What do you do? Do you fold because they don't understand what God's will is? 
Or do you walk confidently in what God's will is for you in that very instance, knowing that people not only have trouble discerning the Lord's will for their own lives, but far more discerning it for other people's lives, and they can often misunderstand what that is. Let's look at another example of this. Jesus casts out many demons and heals a ton of people during his ministry, right? And it says in verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of the demons he casts out demons. Now if there was a conclusion further from the truth, I would love to hear it because this is quite literally the opposite conclusion in every respect that you can come to in regard to who Jesus is and who is empowering his ministry. Jesus Christ is the perfect son of God, God himself, and is the perfect spirit-led man. He doesn't speak unless he hears the father say it. He doesn't do it unless the father commands him and he sees the father doing it. He does not act unless he is led by the Holy Spirit. He never acts out of his own will, but in accordance with the will of the Father at all times. And he is doing these incredible things according to the will of God by the power of the Spirit. And the scribes say he's possessed by the devil and the devil is the one whose power is within him. I mean, come on. This is blasphemy this is ludicrous this is ridiculous but this is the conclusion they come to so once again this shows us that people are fully capable of dramatically misunderstanding what god's will in a person's life is and when they are walking in accordance with it these people totally misunderstood they miss the mark by a hundred thousand miles on who Jesus is and who is empowering his ministry. And there are going to be times in your life where people misunderstand what you're doing in accordance with the will of God, just like this. In a similar way, there are going to be times in your life where you are confident that you're walking in the will of God, and you are. This is not like a you're walking in what you think is the will of God, but it's actually contrary to the teaching of Scripture, and you're living in sin, and somebody's trying to point this out to you, but you can't see it. No, like I'm, I'm talking about you are genuinely living according to God's will. You are walking in accordance with the Spirit in blamelessness, in uprightness, and people see it completely wrong. They totally misunderstand what you're doing, who you are, and who's working through you. There are going to be people maybe who even sit you down and have a, a deep conversation and pour out their heart to you about how wrong you are, and yet... You are walking in the Lord's will. What are you going to do when you encounter situations like this? How are you going to respond? Are you going to fold and say, well, you must be right. If you say this, then I have to be wrong. 
Or are we going to confidently walk with the Lord in accordance with his will, which he has made clear to us, which is why we're walking in it in the first place? The final example I want to talk through in this passage refers not to the Pharisees and scribes, but to Jesus' own family. You would think that out of everybody, his family would have the best understanding of what is going on. And if not all of Jesus' brothers and sisters, at least his mother would know what is going on, right? I mean, the angel Gabriel came to her before she even conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, told her that that her son was going to be the son of God, was going to inherit the throne of David and be the everlasting Messiah King that they've been waiting for. And so he walks into his his public ministry and is doing the Lord's will perfectly and still she can't wrap her mind around it. She knows who Jesus is. She knows he's the Messiah. And yet, this is what happens uh, as he is. And yet, this is what happens after he is ministering to many people in his home in Capernaum. It says this in verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, you might say, well, how do we know Mary is a part of this? What if this is all of his unbelieving family who has no idea? If you look at how each of the sections in the rest of chapter 3 and Mark are connected, each of them are tied together. You go from him being in the home and the crowds coming around him, his family coming to try and seize him, to the scribes speaking about him being possessed by Beelzebul, Jesus giving his response. And then it says this in verse 31, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus is misunderstood by his family to the point that when he is ministering to such a capacity that he doesn't even have time to eat, his family says he's lost his mind. He's out of his mind. We need to seize him and drag him out of here because he's doing something wrong. Come on, guys. We need to go down there and get Jesus. We need to help him. And yet they misunderstand because Jesus is doing exactly what the father has for him. And oh yeah, he's tired. Oh yeah, he's exhausted. But he's doing exactly what the father has for him and the father is giving him strength for it. And there's this piercing statement that he makes about what it means to be a family member of God. 
You want to be my brother? You want to be my sister? You want to be my mother? Then you need to be characterized by doing the will of God. He said, I'm not so much concerned as I am about biological relationship as I am about spiritual relationship. Because if you do the will of God, it shows that you have been transformed by him, born again, saved by him, and out of love and and graciousness for what he has done, you are obeying You are obeying him because of how greatly you've been forgiven. You are loving him and doing his will. That's my family, Jesus says. That's my family, Jesus says. So I've got three quick application points for us that we need to really focus on in our own lives. The first is to seek God's will and live in accordance with it at all times. We need to not just be content to live our lives moment by moment, day by day, walking in accordance with what we think is right. We need to be seeking God's will in prayer. We need to be seeking God's will in the scriptures. We need to be seeking God's will in the counsel of other mature believers. We need to be seeking God's will in discipleship relationships. It is so vital that we are seeking this out. If we don't have that well-trodden path of seeking the Lord and seeking his will, we are very quickly going to get off the narrow path onto the broad way of seeking our own will in the world's way rather than the Lord's desires. The second thing is that we need to keep our eyes focused on him and not live our lives for man's approval. If we are keeping our eyes on him and are concerned with doing his will and pleasing him and giving him glory and doing what he wants, then we cannot be concerned with what men think. Because so often these things are not going to go together. They're not going to coincide. They're going to be entirely different. And like what happened in, and just as it, And just as it happened in Jesus' life, when he is walking in accordance with the will of God, people are going to misunderstand him. People are going to malign him. People are going to try and drag him out of God's will into what they think is the right path. So how are you going to respond to this? If our tendency is to be people pleasers, Time and time again, we are going to stray from God's will for our life and we are going to move to a different path that is going to please nobody in the long run. That is good for what? So we cannot live our lives seeking after man's approval because if we do so time and time again, we are going to walk away from what God desires us to do. And finally, we need to be humble and receive correction when we have strayed from walking faithfully according to God's will. The last thing I want you to get from this message is to say, you always know what God's will for your life is, and therefore don't let anybody ever tell you different. No, 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 no. That is not what I'm saying at all. 
none of us are perfect. Every single one of us has a heart that is deceptive, that is not perfectly sanctified. And so we are going to do things that we are misunderstanding to be the will of God. And we need help. We need correction. We need guidance to navigate us back to the narrow path. This is why we always need to be humble. When somebody comes to us, even in a situation where we are confident we are doing God's will, we need to have open ears to listen to godly men and women because we are not perfect. And so we need to be humble enough to admit that and to live in light of that. So when you have a brother or sister that out of love comes to you to try and correct or confront or exhort you, you need to be willing to listen. And in a situation where you know you're actually walking in accordance with God's will and they're the one who's misunderstanding, this is when 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 in that area applies where we're to respond to somebody not by being quarrelsome, but by being patient and gentle, hoping that the Lord will reveal to them what is his will and release them from their misunderstanding so that they can repent and do what the Lord desires. But there are going to be many times in your life where you are not walking in accordance with the will of God and you need to hear from your brother or sister so that you can come back to the right path. If our ears are closed, if we are unwilling to accept the possibility that this could be the case because we are beyond the understanding of everybody else and we always know what the will of God is, then we are going to quarantine ourselves, isolate ourselves from the truth, from correction, from freedom, and we are going to stay confined in our own bubble of misunderstanding convinced that we are living in accordance with God's will. If people could be convinced after they've crucified Jesus that in killing his disciples, they are offering service to God, offering sacrifice to him, we can certainly misunderstand what God's will for our lives are day by day, moment by moment, as we try and seek to please him and do what he desires. So I hope this has been helpful for you. I know this one was a little bit longer than we've typically been going, but I pray that you would continue to seek out the Lord's will for your life and that as you do so, you would keep your eyes focused on him and live for his glory and his honor and to please him rather than for the approval of men because so often they are going to misunderstand what God's will for your life is.